It's Cofield and Company, live on the road. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company, live Cosmopolitan Mountain West Conference Football Media Day number one. Number one. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. John Von Tobel, also in our Finley Toyota Studios. I actually lost sight of where you were, John. I had no idea. I was like, I don't think he's here. I forgot you're not uh, doing it from the brand new abode. You're all moved in successfully, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say we're like 95% of the way moved in. Little knickknacks, decorations, things like that need to go up in certain rooms, but we're in. Does the couch fit? Yeah, actually, we have a problem. That's probably that's why Here I would include the five percent. Yep. So our living room, the living room's bigger, which is nice. Like it's a lot bigger. But the right. problem is, is that like in our old living room, it was just a square, right? And it's a living room. In this place, it's like a square, but then there's a little alcove in the right corner and oh, no, no fireplace. And so like. Like we don't know. Like for right now, we have it kind of set up where I have my two TVs, but the TV on the left, the smaller TV, is kind of diagonal and catty corner because you have to be able to see it from the couch. So the problem is that the living room is so big that I actually don't have very good sight lines from the couch to the secondary television, and I have oh, to figure wow. this out. That's a disaster. It's yeah. always a challenge of a move. Yep. Does your furniture fit? Do the TVs have good sight lines? Yeah, you, you move in as some houses, some apartments here in Vegas, and they have like they they'd have like the the kind of cutout for a TV, but it was like yep. you know 2004 TV size, and you're like, what's going on here? This fits a 37 inch TV. This is a nightmare. Now my project over the weekend might we're be- rich. We do radio. That's right. John's probably got an 85 incher. Uh, no, uh, my my big boy is 40 inches, something like that. What? Yeah, I got to get a new one. Um, and actually, so this is the cool part about converting my wife to my lifestyle. Mm. She has slowly come along over the last few years that she has actually been the one to like, you know, that TV's kind of small. Oh, nice. You know? And she's like, we can move that one to my room. You can get a bigger one. I was like, really? Okay. I'm like, let's, uh, we'll talk about this then. But my theory is actually that the alcove in which we have the TVs in is actually there to put your couch and then you put the TVs pretty much on the opposite side of where I have them. Oh, wow. The problem is our couch is too long for said alcove. So yeah. I got yeah. some things to figure out. First world problems. John Von Tobel has them. All right, let's get to it. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. This could be the longest. We really can't make it long, but uh, one of the longest Trending at 3s ever. There's so much... Yes. Going on today, it's nuts, and I think I missed some stuff. By the way, we're going to check in with uh, Marcus Arroyo, the head coach of UNLV football, in eh, less than 15 minutes. So it'll kind of be trending at three throughout the show. Uh, you know, that A's uh, Oakland vote went down yesterday with the A's, which I think we confused everyone because a, a yes meant a no, but maybe a yes meant a yes. <laughs> it confused me the Oakland first. side. <laughs> yeah, the yes meant a no to the A's side. Um, good news for Oakland. Uh, A's president Dave Cavill is already back in town today. Like, as soon as they got the vote in, which, again, they consider it a no, the city council's like, yeah, we're still alive with a yes. Uh, They're back here. Uh, The owner, John Fisher, is here. They've got a team architect in tow, as uh, Aker says, over at the RJ. 
and they're going to be meeting again with uh, Mr. Ruffin. You know, we, we love uh, going to the TI. Well, Phil Ruffin owns all that property and land with Circus Circus, but he also owns the corner on Sahara and Ovi Boulevard mm-hmm. across from the Sahara. That could be one of the spots being strongly considered. It must be if they're meeting with him. Yes, yes. It's all over in Oakland. It's all done. I don't think it's all over. (laughs) No, I know. And I think that is the tone, right, that it's all done and everything's toast. And uh, Vegas, here we come. But that's not the case, right? Uh, This was a speed bump. It was uh, something that the A's guests didn't want to happen. But it does not mean that they're going to happen. And, look, I think I was reading a little bit of Graney's column today in the uh, Las Vegas Review-Journal. And now this is about finding a little bit more leverage if you're the Oakland Athletics. So why not head right back out to Las Vegas and start meeting with some guys? Uh, also trending, we got the NHL expansion draft, which is it's funny. I've heard a lot of people around the market who are like, yeah, who cares? VGK is not involved. They're all protected. I'm like, this is going to be a division rival. You don't care to see how good they may be. And it doesn't look like Seattle is uh, going to take Carey Price, mm-hmm. which I thought was one of the best storylines in this whole thing. Now, he may be you know, in injury jeopardy early in the season coming up, but how awesome would it have been to freaking steal – the legendary goalie off a team that made the Stanley Cup final. Like, that's the danger of ex- potentially exposing a guy like Harry Price. Yeah, of course it is, right? And, I mean, look, you can you can go across the board and you can look and, like, this year alone, right, save percentage wasn't that great for Carey Price. And I think that's probably why he was up for grabs and maybe why Seattle didn't want to take a shot with him in terms of him being long in the tooth and coming off of a statistically below average season, right, by his standards. Uh, but it would have been a very cool story. It would have mirrored somewhat – Right, what the Vegas Golden Knights did with Marc-Andre Fleury. And can I also argue that you should care if you're Vegas because if the Seattle crack and crash and burn in terms of building an expansion team, uh, you get to laud the fact that your organization did it the right way. And now you can't just sit there and hockey fans you know, moan and complain about the fact that you were handed a good team. You know, this actually, I think the Vegas Golden Knights fans should be very interested in what happens in Seattle. Yeah, don't be jealous. Don't be jealous, mm-hmm. all you piss-poor cold market. Hockey fans, (laughs) screw off. We are arrogant. We deserve to be arrogant. Uh, Also trending at three, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of the coaches here today at the Mountain West Conference Football Media Day, uh, and every time I'm like, hey, coach, what's up, coach? How you doing, coach? I will not make a mistake. I learned the lesson yesterday. Here's Deion Sanders at the SWAC Media Day, which, by the way, uh, Deion being there is a coup for the conference. Deion walking out sucks for the conference. Thanks, Coach. Okay, let me let me get Nick. Let me get Nick. Nick's a good guy. Nick Suss, you're up. Hey, Dion, I was just wondering if you could. Oh, uh, oh, let's back up a little bit. You don't call Nick Saban Nick. Don't call me Dion. Okay. I call Nick Saban Nick. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's a lie. You if you call Nick Nick, you know you get cussed out on the spot. So don't do that to me. Treat me like Nick. Okay, Dion. Just uh. Okay, there's a lot there. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Uh, first off, good on the reporter. Oh, really? Good. Come on. Don't back down, okay? Okay. You're not my coach. Stop it. All right? Don't command me to call you something. That is absolutely ridiculous. And, I mean, we'll address the obvious. They call Nick Saban Nick all the time. Yes. Like, what are we doing? And are you really putting yourself on the same level of Nick Saban? You deserve the same respect as, respect as Nick Saban, huh? Okay. On Dion's side, he is fight. He's actually fighting for respect. A lot of people think this is just kind of a sideshow and that he's not qualified to be a coach. So, do things like this help? I, uh, no. Well, I, I mean, I, 
I think it's a disaster, like I said, for his program, for the conference. Um, it's also incredibly rude. Um, I'm pretty sure Hoover and Birmingham are only like 15 minutes apart. So you're getting a lot of the spillover from the SEC media days potentially coming down, although that was on Zoom anyway. But walking out is pretty childish. Of course it is. Like you know, have a conversation with that Nick uh, who's being a smartass. I will say him doubling down with one more Dion at the end. is like, dude, okay, he doesn't want to be called Dion. You don't have to call him coach. Just freaking ask him the question. Um, I don't know. I thought it was silly on both sides. Well, and here's the thing. Like, this is kind of the – like, you talk about fighting an uphill battle, and I can agree with that sentiment. But when you're, like, walking out of a press conference over something like this, when you had the issue last football season where he had that weird moment in the press conference where he accused somebody of stealing all of his belongings when it actually yeah. turned out that they were misplaced and moved. Like, little things like this, you can't demand respect in one, on, on one side and no. then make it a sideshow with little things like this, like, at every step of the way. Also trending at three. Were you, over the moon were you over the moon last night with the Bucks winning the title? Uh, you know what? I, I was kind of – I was actually a lot happier than I thought I was going to be. Oh, look at you. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if uh, – you know, I am a big Giannis stand. Uh, I love Giannis Antetokounmpo, the basketball player. But watching him play basketball is great. He is a phenomenal athlete. It's, uh, I'm just a big fan of his game. And he's just very childlike in his aura and the way he carries himself. So it is kind of cool, right, when he's on the court afterwards getting emotional and getting really excited, screaming at the mention of his brother and finally getting a ring to match his brother who got one last year with the Lakers. Like, uh, I kind of enjoyed watching everything that transpired yesterday, and I hated the fact that I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. I'm with you, though. It was for Giannis. I'm, right. I'm, I'm super stoked about the fact that all – you know, there's so much of the media and then NBA haters who try to hate on – Every guy who could be the next guy. And Giannis went out in the series. He freaking dominated. And then exclamation point to close things out. So all of the Giannis haters, shove it. Right. And it's the way that it happened, right? Like dropping 50 points in a closeout game where he's literally telling his teammate, Steve, no, no, no. I know you guys are sucking today. But we're not losing. We're, we're going to win a title today, okay? And I'm going to make sure that we win said title. It, it was absolutely phenomenal. And it, and it completely ignores the fact the knee bending the wrong way, him as a player and his story as a person coming up you know, as a young kid, all of the things that just culminated into that moment. I thought it was phenomenal. But you're right. Even yesterday, I tweeted out something along the lines of like, you know, this is one of the greatest performances we've ever seen in NBA history. And, like, I get, like, two people. Like, one is like, well, at least Chris Middleton makes his free throws. And the other's like, well, he's taking on a team that's soft on the interior. Oh, like, stop. shut up. Yep. Like, it was a great performance. And that's that's the era. You have to – someone's got to rain on the parade because people are miserable. It's a great story. You know, triumphant moment for this guy. He showed himself to be a super alpha on the court and then also dealing with his teammates. He answered almost all of the questions. He's one of the all-time greats. He got a ring. Just enjoy it. You don't have to come up with a negative angle. All right, on the way back, we're going to talk a lot of football today. We have UNLV coach Marcus Arroyo coming up, and also later in the show we're going to catch up with the tight end of the Raiders, Darren Waller. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer, 877-700-NOVA. Now back to Cofield & Company. Live on the road. Cosmopolitan, Mountain West Conference football days going on. We had a chance just a little while ago to sit down with uh, our guy here in town, UNLV football coach Marcus Arroyo, and uh, got into some of the uh, basics of actually speaking face-to-face. It's a little bit weird, right, now that uh, we're trying to get past COVID. But, yeah, face-to-face conversation, right, Coach? Yeah, it's been a, a good day. It's finally good to see people in 3D out here, man. 
it's different, right? I've been telling yeah. everyone, especially media people from a year ago, I'm like, you have to realize when you know Marcus came into town, it's like you're jumping into a new town, a new market. You don't really know the media. You don't get to see their faces. Like there's a relationship that needs to be developed. And one of the first things is face-to-face conversations. Yeah, no doubt. And, and let alone the fact that we just, our, our line of work involves usually being so dialed in early on or so, you know, in a submarine so often that we don't get a chance to get out and see people and be in public and see the faces and the people that make up the city, man. It's, uh, it, it's, it's hard, but this this since january has been awesome that's what that's been really cool to, to get out and see people and see and, and shake some hands and, and be around our guys man i saw that you uh spoke to the basketball team yeah yeah kevin called uh the other day the other night we were, i was sitting at home and he said hey you want to come out and talk to the team it was awesome i, I like going to watch guys practice practices at any sports one of my favorite things i love hoops um i love what kevin's doing and, and his group and and a part of our family there at unl visa anytime i can just get out and see anybody else work or have a chance to speak to anybody or talk to anybody else is always good what'd you talk about uh it was just 10 minutes for practice i i it wasn't any, it was anything off cuff it was more it was just off cuff in regards to um two things the illusion of choice which is something we talk about with our group a lot our, our mindset and some of our mindset stuff with our team and then um another piece of that is, is deliberate intent and, and deliberate practice themes and and, and kind of just went into that for 10 minutes and, and gave them some food for thought and then they went to practice what's the illusion of choice well it's the it's understanding that um, if you ask a group of guys if they want to be ultra successful and they all raise their hand and say yes, and then you show them that formula that the elite guys took to get there, and you said it took A, B, C, and D, and you said, are you willing to do that to be have elite success? Do you really have a choice but to not do those things? You don't. That's an illusion. You don't have that. You've got to put in those dark hours. You can't put in the normal hours that that the less that the, 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 the normal normal things would do. And so that's really what we teach our guys a lot is, is those elite decisions are are not really a choice if, if you say and you're committed to doing something that's special because those have been made. It's been proven that those decisions have had to be made and they've done they've, they've proved prudent and so you don't have a choice. So let's talk about a tough topic and that's the, the vaccinations and being together as yeah. a group. Yeah. Where are you guys right now? How do you reflect on what happened last year? And we've seen some football players, former football players, like Michael Irvin came out and was all over the Cowboys. He's like, you want to win or not? But it's a thorny issue. Yeah, is no. Because I, the Cowboys haven't reached the threshold in the <laughs> NFL. And, you know, this is the question around every football yeah. program. What are we doing here? Well, the first thing we're doing is educating our guys. I think that that's the overarching thing when you sit down and you really have an intimate conversation. And I think that's what it has to be, in, my, in our opinion. We've had some real intimate conversations with our guys and, and what they understand about vaccination. Uh, what they understand about um, their families and, and, and some of the dialogue we've had. You know, Desiree's done a phenomenal job putting the right pieces around us and allows us to have people come in and doctors and educating our groups in regards to giving them the education they need. It's not superficial. It's not something from the home environment. It's not something from where they're from or from social media. It, it's something that's, that's tangible that they can really think about. And I think we've had multiple conversations with our guys about it. Um, we've really been progressive uh, in having those conversations and allowing those opportunities to come forth and, and uh, to provide an, uh, a platform for our guys to kind of tell us how they feel about it. And we've, uh, we've pushed them in the right, right way of just getting them to communicate effectively. And if they want to get it done, we go get it done and we handle it. We're, we're bumping around 85, 90% of our team, which is awesome. That's what we want to be for camp. Good. Um, and we continue, obviously, ideally we'd get everybody if, if everybody wanted to do that. So we're, we're doing we're doing a really good job. Our guys have been really really candid and, and honest and upfront, and and I'm I'm really uh 
humbled to have the athletic training team and the leadership we've got at UNLV to kind of help me uh, push that envelope. He's running the football program at UNLV. Head coach Marcus Arroyo is here with Cofield and company. So you feel good moving forward that, you know, there shouldn't be issues with game cancellations because from what we hear, um, you know, last year there were delays, there were postponements. I, I don't think most college football conferences are messing around anymore. Yeah, if there's no, a problem, I, you may just lose the game. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's uh, that's been I think some of the dialogue we've heard too is there's not going to be that. I think that um, I can't we can't control some of that. We're going to obviously be be uh, uphold the uh, the regulations that the conference or the cities or the states put forward, and so we'll follow that directly. But um, I, I'm I'm just been elated to be finally back in some normalcy and, and right. get some of the standards and, and protocols and progressions that we're accustomed to having done and grown up in for our whole career back in order. So normalcy in Vegas means you know we've opened up, right? Um, you mentioned since January it's gotten a little more normal. What's been your best experience just out and about around Vegas? Uh, you know, well, I like I mean just to seeing the people, the people that had to do with the commitment made here at UNLV. I mean, the commitment to put in a forty million dollar complex at Fertitta to see the people who had their hands tied to that right. thing and meet them and have a have it have a drink and have some dinner and see like why they did it and, and to see it why you put so much uh, investment and and sweat and blood into in a two billion dollar stadium and made an infrastructure at a college completely different to see those people and to see the passion. To see that what we thought and what we thought as coaches, and we got recruited here too. We got to remember that what we're what he, we came to do, and some of our vision as to what we thought we could do here: recruit here, t- acquire talent, build it, player development around a structure that was part of a city that's the fastest growing sports city in the country, in my opinion, and one of the best. To see that all come alive, man, that's been. I mean, you can tell in my voice, I'm I've been fired up to be around some of these guys and see some of that stuff, and to now move the needle forward on just our program for the for the first time what feels like the first time is just really really exciting so take us upstairs at t-mobile and you get there with the uh, with the air raid horn like how because <laughs> we've had we've had multiple coaches yeah yeah at unlv go and do this and yeah. you guys like all look like you're gonna rip the handle off like what is there just an energy up there that you're, you're almost like ah, just lose control yeah i can't speak for anybody else <laughs> I, i'd never been number one i was ultra fired up because i heard so many good things about the hockey game and, yeah. and i went to school um in the bay area during a time when the structure were really good yeah. and so i got kind of a my hockey and a west coast hockey thing early um but then to get here and to hear how excited i was and to get up there i don't know as an athlete or coach when you get in certain environments man and you see things get fired up like that i yeah you you, you have a tendency sometimes to black out and just get to get lost in the juice man it was awesome and the the, the funny part is like i don't know I was getting coached up by a couple of guys, whatever, right? But the, the stand in itself, it's not, you know, it, it, it moves a little bit. So you yeah. kind of got to get there, – there's some, there's some biomechanics into how to leverage yourself against that machine without ripping the handle off or throwing it off the Or the tearing stage your labrum. Or, or, yeah, or tearing your arm off. And <laughs> I think I found that nice mix, man. That was, that was, that was, that was, all, that was fun, man. That was a good deal. Uh, the stadium, obviously, is a crown jewel, and you yeah. guys will get to play there this year with fans because last year right. was bizarro. I mean, there was, right. you know, the games that we, we had here, there were a few thousand of us sitting up in the stands. I saw, did you guys do a big photo shoot the other, the other day? I saw, I saw Kyle Williams tweeting something Yeah, they did. They did. They, they, the marketing team put, took some of our guys out there to do some stuff for the intro and, and to do some things that are, that are exciting and branding type things, which are really cool. So they did some stuff in the stadium to have some of our recruits in June come through and their families and and to actually get a chance now to think that our city and our fans get to come in and see what they've invested in, to see our team grow in that spot, um, man, that, that, that's just so, so exciting. Single-game tickets are available, uh, as low as I think it's 45 bucks. There's mini packs, uh, season ticket packs as well, about the same starting price. And 
you know, most of it's all going to be on the lower level, so it's right. a great opportunity to get in to watch the games at Allegiant. And obviously the, the Raiders, because it's the NFL, the ticket prices are a lot higher. So folks out there listening, this is a chance to get in and watch some good football. And there's going to be some good football in the Mountain West Conference. You know, I was just looking through the West. Yeah. My Lord, some yeah. of the quarterbacks that are back. And, I mean, that's the beginning of the whole thing on offense. You're going to face some really good quarterbacks. No, that's, that's a big piece of this conference. I, I was here as a player, obviously, as, as we know, and, and I was here as a coach and on another stint some different times. There's always been good quarterback play. There's always been good offense. I mean, you go all the way back to times where, you know, you go back to when Utah was in this conference or, you know, in, in Hawaii's and us and San Diego State's. And, BYU. I mean, BYU's. And, I mean, all those schools. I mean, offense has been really exciting in this conference for a long time. And now – You've got some great coaches. I mean, I know many of these guys intimately, and Brent being I've known for obviously years, and now Andy's in this league, and, and, and Brady's done a great job, and Jay. I mean, there's a ton of quality coaches, man, on this in this thing. It's exciting, man. I, You know, you sign up to go to a school as a head coach in your career, you have to encompass the thought of all of that, who you're playing, where you're playing, who you're around, who you can recruit, what your lifestyle's like as a family. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, and, and we thought about those things, and the conference was definitely one of them. But there's two sides of the ball, and that's why it's so important to build up the defense. And, you know, based on what I saw at spring practice, you guys are much bigger on defense. Um, you got a lot bigger on the defensive line. That means you're able to move some of the guys who were a little undersized on the D-line back to linebacker. You're getting bigger at the corners. I mean, the defense in terms of the size and trying to look like a, you know, a, a good Division One defense, it looks improved. No, there, there's no doubt about it. And, I don't, and, 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 and we're us alluding to the offensive style in this conference, I think, Philosophically, that was the most important part for me was making sure defensively I had we had an identity that, that around what we wanted to do. And, and Coach Hanson's going he's installed that now for the first time, obviously, in a, in a full progression for us, which has been exciting. We've we've manipulated the roster in ways the best we can in the first real assessment and in, in infusing some some uh, experienced guys, some transfer guys, moving some pieces around after seeing them in spring ball. Um, you just get a chance to do that when you've got a normal progression to things, a traditional format. You got a chance to assess and move, especially early on. And I think that our defense that, that showed that this spring was that they got a chance to gel, be around each other. We put guys in the, in the positions, we plug some guys in, and then we're all really youthful. I mean, played 18, 19 true freshmen, man. There's going to be guys all over the field that are still really youthful, but um, had a chance to have that 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 season last year together just on the field have whatever experience we could get out of it and then have a spring ball teach progression to now go into camp I'm, I'm excited about some of that a lot of that stuff they're doing on defense marcus arroyo's with us unlv football coach here on uh, espn las vegas talk about the cerebral part of uh, switching positions on defense like jacoby winman's doing you know defensive lineman for a couple mm -hmm. of years really size wise he's a linebacker what's that transition a linebacker like yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a growth there's a growth there. Obviously, there, I don't want to go. No one would in our business would say that's an easy deal um, going from the uh, first level player to a second level player. But we felt like as we evaluated uh, Jacoby and saw him, and then took into account his ability to to transfer football um, from paper and from teaching into a game experience, he could make that transition in spring, and he did that. He's going to play a, a, a little bit all over. We put him in a position now he can play sideline to sideline, doesn't get curbed just on one side of the field at first level. He can play both levels. He's a blitzer. He can be a, 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 it's. I think it's it's been really good for him. He's a good example of a guy that you got to build the things around the players and not just put square pegs in round holes. You talked about culture change a lot. Uh, yep. Most impactful guys in the program or some of the guys you brought from outside the program? Uh, both. I think that that I think that what you do is, is you got a chance to, to have some guys that have been in this program and spent a lot of time with them in regards to what you feel philosophically the culture is supposed to look like and why. And they've got some maturity about them, some experience have played in the game, and hopefully that 
that transcends some of it. There's attrition everywhere in that regard. I get that. And then you take the new guys and you get to start with a fresh slate. You infuse the two together um, and you try to build a culture that understands what exactly you're trying to get done um, holistically. And I think that's the biggest thing that sometimes is hardest to see from the outside is the culture in an offseason, in a weight room, in a meal room, in a team bonding, in a position room, in player-led practices in summer when coaches aren't there. We got 12 of them. They're gone four days a week and working out in June together. There's no coaches and Coach Files got them ranked up. July's got three days a week. I mean, there's so many hours logged now that you don't get in a pandemic. You and I talked about the super seniors a few months ago at spring practice, and I wanted you to tell the audience about the super seniors and, and you know, I'll, I'll put it frankly, why you let some guys come back, why it was important to, you know, talk to them and then make a decision like, hey, this is the place for you and we need you here. Yeah, it's, it's, this is new. I mean, this is this is something that, again, you, you go 20 years, 19 years of coaching and playing in the position, you study your tail off from great mentors, and all of a sudden you look for the one piece in your in your folder you've been working on your entire life that says, okay, how to talk to super seniors about coming back. You're like, well, that's gone, so i got to make this up. But I think more than anything goes back to having a human conversation, man, and having a real conversation in your program with guys that you feel like can give added value for all the right reasons, both the human element and their athletic element, let, let alone the fact you can help them. And I think that after having those conversations, we found eight or nine guys. We felt like um, we owed it to them, and then they felt they wanted to contribute and finish it the right way. Some didn't. Some were cashed out, and some said, you know what, this isn't, it's a different deal. And I think that's, uh, that's okay. That, that happens with attrition and change. But the guys that came back were I'm ex- I'm really, really excited about. I think they've now been through a programming of an offseason here in our program and seen – I think they're excited about what they did, and and that and that that's what that's what means it all. We've talked mostly football, but you know, guys are here to get an education, set themselves up for life if they're not going to play any kind of professional football after this. And I think we need to bring up what Charles Williams has done, uh, is experiencing uh, academic All American, which is yeah. incredibly impressive, especially yes. off a year where COVID was so goofy. Uh, just had a, I think a baby girl, right? Uh, and he's back, and I you know you, you talk to him, and he's like, I didn't do what I wanted to do last year. Yeah, Charles is, a, is, a, is going to be a great story. He's going to talk about an academic All-American accolade and the first one ever in this program history for a long time with his kids and his family. I think that's going to stick out as much as any carry or touchdown or game. You know, Looking in hindsight of how we've all been as players and now as coaches looking back, the stories you tell, are, those are really big. That, 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 that accomplishment's huge. It says a lot about um, what we've done, what David Wedley, our academic coordinator, has done, what – what the what the support system at the at the university's done for us and allowing us to really push our guys academically in a, in a pandemic online they've just done a phenomenal job we've shattered every gpa record there as well i mean charles is just a great example man of just of, of the things that really do matter we do harp about our academic integrity and now we follow through with it and i think that charles is going to be a great example now he gets to come back for his senior year and and be healthy and have an off season and and and, and learn some more ball and put himself in position that that I've been in, and that's in a draft room to make him really, really sexy to the NFL in regards to some of the decisions and some of the things he's done. And, and that all does count. It does count. It doesn't just, it's not just on field. And I know that through most recently with Herbert. There's a lot of things that those guys look at that that investment is really important in the decisions they've made um, in regards to the whole picture of a person. And whenever pro football uh, finishes up for Charles, then I think he's coming for me. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, we've got. There's some things we got to work on. We try. We got to work. Is that on right? Yeah. We got. We, we got to get the broadcasting piece down. But right now, we focus on <laughs> academics, please. being a dad, and some football, and then then we'll let him uh, fight for your chair. By the way, uh, on your experience as a player, ESPN.com had a list 
130 down to number one, the best college football playing coaches. <laughs> did you see this? You did pretty well. Someone said it to me, yeah. yeah you did pretty well. Blake yeah. Anderson was all annoyed. I brought up the fact that he was uh, 93. He was like second from last. Uh, yeah. You were 37 with, I think, two players, coaches in front of you. Yeah, I, I, I think I texted a couple of buddies in the Senate. I want to recount. I think there's some guys there I'd, I'd, right now. There was a lot of lower we'll division roll, we'll, players, too. You we'll played division out one there. football. I know. What's going I know. on here? Golly. The respect? I know. I felt good about it, but I, I, I wish I wish it'd be better. Um, no, that was that was humbling. That was really cool. It, what's cool, I'll tell you this, is is I got a lot of friends in this business now that I played with and grew up with, and, and to look at that thing that someone that someone sent us, and some of them had it where they clipped out just your you know your crew, your guys. I mean, me and Brent and Nick Rolovich are three guys who grew up in here, and we're laughing about where we're ranked collectively and who what three we'd take on, you right. know, and like uh, it's it's it was, it was well. Funny. Anderson said he'll he'll play now at this age. <laughs> yeah. He'll do well. Well, yeah. He said he was off injured when he was at Baylor and Sam Houston State, but now he's he says he can kick. Yeah, this is actually you think about the, the staff. I'm thinking now the staffing we put together a team. I be pretty good. Now we got Andy here. We got a lot of quarterbacks. We got some quarterbacks. A lot of quarterbacks. We, we got Andy here too. We got Andy and we got uh, we got Gonzalez and, and and Rocky Long. We got some good defensive call balls too. We can coach Graham. There you go. So I think we can get it done. Uh, last one, really important, yeah. and this is a discussion we can have for 20 minutes, but uh, time is short. Uh, what's going on with NIL and what you guys are doing? And I'm seeing the Vegas effect and there you know, yeah. some other program that uh, kids can sign up for. So what are you doing? Yeah, no, we've been progressive since the jump. I think you, heard, you guys heard me talk about it since we got here. Is we've kind of seen this coming. Um, we started some grassroots stuff with our programming and some of the uh, off-season training stuff that we had even last year with uh, educating our guys on some of the stuff that was coming down. It's now it's here. I think it's 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 really good. I think it's it's exciting. It's changed the landscape of college football. Our guys are going to get a chance to invest, find more investments in themselves. Um, obviously, I think the most important piece of all of this is the fact that we're investing in education. We've got this third-party group. We've got our, our our athletic department's really been progressive in taking opportunities to educate our guys on how to go about this now. Because there's going to be a lot of webs um, that are going to that can tangle some guys up. And I think our biggest job right now for our guys is providing the educational piece if monetarily they do want to get into this world and in vegas this isn't a better market in, the, in, in anywhere in the country and that's what's exciting the marketability of our guys in this program here I mean, it don't get no better than that. And so I think educating our guys and recruiting tools and things like that are just going to be through the roof. What's the schedule like coming up when you guys open up, when you get to work? Uh, coaches go back next week. We'll start our prep, and then players get back the second, and then off we go. And then we get into uh, and, and into the, our 20-plus days of camp, which I'm fired up for, and, and get ready for uh, Eastern Washington, who's a dang good football team. Looking forward to it. Yep. Excited. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. John Von Tobel back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Cofield out here at the uh, Cosmopolitan Mountain West Conference Football Media Day. Justin Watkins is up. What's up, Justin? What's going on, fellas? A whole lot. A whole lot. Uh, did you see the late entry that I sent your way? It's an old road rage, but it's kind of interesting. I did. You did. Uh, we'll describe it as this. This was back in 2017. We had listener Tom send it over. He's like, you guys got to mention this, and I had never seen this before. It was a... Uh, a car accident, but it was started when you see a motorcycle riding up on an automobile in the HOV lane, and for some reason the motorcycle gets real close to the back end, kicks the car, actually kicks the car, who knows how fast they're going, 60, 70 miles an hour, the car wipes 
from there and takes out a truck that uh, that flips over and actually the the motorcyclist got arrested and was facing a, a bunch of felony charges. Yeah, I mean the video picks up in the procession of the biker right before he pulls up next to the car and and kicks the car like you said. So I don't know what happened before that. If there was anything that led the biker to be infuriated in that way, and, and justifiably so. Story, um, Justin. Story said that the car inadvertently had cut off the biker. Witnesses said the biker then you know drove up quickly behind the car, and then that's when he kicked the car. Yeah. So at, at that point, here, here's what I saw when I saw the video: is the biker kicks the car, the car then retaliate I, I didn't feel like the car lost control based on the kick but retaliate and try to bump back into the bike and then oh. when they bump back into the bike lost control now the question would be if my analysis is right was the did the car act reasonably in self-defense by swerving into the bike i think that that's a close call for me to be honest with you i mean you don't. You can't just sit there and let you know bikers come up and kick your car. You got to sort of defend yourself. You don't want to be threatened either. But a biker kicking your car is certainly not as threatening as a car swerving into a bike. But in any case, clearly the district attorney there felt that the biker was the original instigator, instigator, and that the car had, you know, acted appropriately or reasonably under the circumstances, so that the biker was responsible for everything that happened. The, the car hitting the center median and, you know, a yeah. small explosion. And then yeah. another vehicle that wasn't involved being clipped and flip rolling over. Uh, John's going to go here in a second, but we should mention that the he also got hit with a hit and run because the, the, off, the, yeah. the, yeah, the motorcycle is just like, okay, see you later. Nothing happened. Like, whoa. Yep, for sure. That No matter what happened, no matter who's at fault, you can't take off from a scene like that. So, Justin, I'm curious, though, like, that's got to be a challenge, I would think, as a lawyer. Like, you're saying that when you look at that video, you're saying that the intent was to take out the biker. What if the driver uh, just says, no, I got scared. I thought something hit my car, right? Like, how do you as a lawyer actually go out there and prove that the intent was he tried to hit the motorcycle other than looking at the video and saying, yeah, it looks like he tried to do that? Yeah, I mean, that's you, <laughs> you have to... You have to do your best to get some admissions from the driver of the of the vehicle, um, or witness. It doesn't really matter what witnesses thought. You have to get into the mind of the driver and what their intent was and how they steered the vehicle. So, if a driver says, "No, no, I, w- I did not mean any harm. I had no idea," well, then you got to try to catch them lying about that. If you if you truly believe that they're lying, I mean that's that's what I saw. Um, I don't know how that kick would would have made the person swerve in such a way other than they got scared and just didn't know kind of where they were, um, which is poss- is a possibility. The uh, the dude on the motorcycle, Andrew Flanagan, again, this was 2017. Uh, he was arrested in 2018. He wound up pleading no contest. He got three years probation, and uh, that, was, that was pretty much it. I want to talk about sentencing uh, because it's really interesting. We had a case come down here in Las Vegas. Uh, they caught someone voting twice. In the 2016 election, uh, finally came to a decision. The dude had voted here in Nevada and also in Arkansas. That individual got 30 months for voting twice. And we also just saw the first of the, the I guess, the folks charged with a felony on the, the Capitol invasion. Uh, that person was just sentenced. They got eight months. 
Right. And, you know, there's there's two different jurisdictions that we're dealing with here. So it's hard to say that there's inconsistencies when you're dealing with different uh, state law and a federal law, right. two different prosecuting attorneys, right? For the voter fraud here in Nevada, the prosecutor of that is the Nevada Attorney General. Um, and it was a situation in which the person voted once in Nevada and once in Arkansas. Um, and everything was probation, um, as I understand it. Everything's suspended, no actual jail time, so long as okay. probation is adhered to. Now, the problem I have sort of with that is <laughs> you got a person who's violated, you know, their constitutional rights of voting, and and we have a tons of people who are in jail now who have no ability to vote, even though they didn't do anything wrong by by the voting standards. This person, per, you know, purposely, it, it seems to be, broke the law and voted twice, and they haven't lost any of their voting rights, which huh. I don't agree with. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Justin Watkins with us, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, our uh, legal insider here on Wednesdays, 5709000, is the number. We saw another step in the uh, Zayon Collins case. Uh, explain this one to us. I mean, it simply says, you know, judge declines to dimis, uh, dismiss DUI case, and that has to do with the, uh, the marijuana testing. So what's the next step from here? What just happened? Nothing happened, basically. So, as you'll recall from the indictment, the grand jury did not indict Zion Collins on the issue of the UI, but did indict on the issue of reckless driving. Um, the district attorney did not accept those indictments from uh, the grand jury and chose to move forward under both of the charges. So, Zion Collins is still being charged with DUI and still being charged with uh, reckless driving. Um, and uh, it's, it's obviously DUI resulting in death, so it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, not that any other DUI is not a big deal, but this obviously carries a lot of potential for a significant amount of jail time. What his attorneys have said is, yes, he his blood tested at you know 0.3 nanograms and 0.20 nanograms the legal limit, but there is no way to know uh, or judge from the testing procedures that we have when that was ingested and whether or not he was impaired. His, his attorneys pointed to the fact that the responding officer said no evidence of impairment on the police report. Um, the judge and the district attorney's office pointed to evidence at the, uh, at the hospital that talked about um, bloodshot eyes and inattentiveness as potential evidence that he was, in fact, impaired. So what the judge basically said is it's going to go to a jury. Justin Watkins on a Wednesday. All right, really interesting one that we found. uh, This was uh, in the last week or so. Um, And you tell me, you know, obviously there's there's some sort of violation here. It doesn't seem right. Uh, The Oregonian has a story, the Portland police used – Photoshop to alter a defendant's photo to make him look more uh, look more like a robbery suspect. Now he'll be released from jail. You saw this, right? Uh, they have yeah. a lineup photo and a booking photo. And what it reminded me immediately was uh, of was the OJ photo. I think that was Time Magazine where they made it look more menacing. Mm-hmm. His lineup photo, and in this one, the lineup photo of this fella, you know, kind of normal. And then you you look on the booking photo. There's tattoos all over his face. This is bizarre. Yeah, this is a weird one, and, and you know, there is a legal history of uh, lineup photos being altered, and the courts have upheld those for the most part 
if it's based on like lack of lighting, so they sort of darken the photo, um, that could be seen as okay. Uh, In this instance, what the police said is that the tattoos were distracting for the eyewitnesses. And that's a funny way of putting it because if it's distracting to them when they're trying to look in a lineup photo, a photo book, it certainly would have been distracting if he was, in fact, the robber of the of the bank, and they would have noticed that right away. Now, I don't know if the argument is that he was wearing makeup to block, you know, to cover up tattoos. Ultimately, he pled guilty to the oh, bank wow. robberies. Um, so he, he did, and but but his attorneys basically said a big part of the guilty plea was based on you know this improper um, lineup photo and this what they believed was unconstitutional. In any case, both the prosecutor and the defense attorney agreed to a, a sentencing of time served and probation. Um, and clearly, from my perspective, it's based on two things. One, that the prosecution knows that they were in trouble, on potentially on appeal of moving forward with this case and getting it all thrown out later. Um, and two, that it seems that in this time um, served and during his probation, this person has, you know, the accused has seemed to have turned his life around and is oh, wow. kind of helping a ton of people. Um, and so the prosecutor was saying, you know, they would be doing a service to the community by letting him out now. Wow. So, yeah, it, it, it's, tough to, it's tough to know what, what's right there, but ultimately we'll never know how, a, like, an appellate court would have, would have ruled on that. The, the trial court had said that they didn't believe any constitutional rights have been violated in the doctoring of the photos. Really quick, Steve, in in the report, it is noted that eyewitnesses never noted that he had had tattoos. And even they use a picture of the surveillance camera, and he's got glasses and a hat on. You don't see any tattoos <laughs> in the I mean, actual everywhere, footage. John. They're all over his face. Like right. Mike Tyson's like, that's a lot of tattoos. <laughs> right. No, it's crazy because if you look at the actual footage of the day that the event took place, you can't see any one of his tattoos in the surveillance photo from the bank. So it seems like that's what they wanted to do was there was no reports of seeing any tattoos, and they don't want to get them off because uh, everybody looks at it and goes, I didn't see any tattoos. Can't be that guy. Right. No, I agree with you, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I looked at that photo too, and it it, it looks like the dude, but it does you, certainly no tattoos. So, I mean, maybe he used makeup. Um, <laughs> I, I have a hard time believing that a guy, you know, this is sort of Monday morning quarterbacking, but I have a hard time believing that a guy would um, plead guilty to like four bank robberies that he didn't do. <laughs> um, and I, I should know too, he was a career cr- criminal. Um, but that's a big part of why the prosecution said that something had changed dramatically and helped so many people. And despite his long rap sheet, he should be let go. And uh, the judge actually wasn't buying it and made them both come in and describe to them why he should do this because he thought it was way too extraordinary of a, of a relief and, and based on the rap sheet and the, the guilty plea was inappropriate, but ultimately agreed. Uh, last one for you, Justin. I'm going to sh- uh, throw you a wild card here. Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, blow-up by Bryson DeChambeau at the British Open over the weekend where he was hammering on his club. He said his driver sucked, and he actually said, he's like, the driver sucked. Uh, I saw an interesting question from a fellow legal insider, Dan Lust. Um, They were discussing, when you sign with a sponsor, what are the ramifications of making fun of them on national TV, live on on, uh, national TV? Is there a danger? Like, could the company come back at you? And I mean, they could dump you, but could they actually sue you? 
Yeah, if there's a non-disparagement clause in there, which I would suspect that there there is in all these endorsement deals, certainly, and I'm sure that there are some penalties associated with that financially. Now, the question is, you know, the driver sucked. It could, to me, it could mean a whole bunch of different things other than the piece of equipment is not good itself, right? Um, so I think that that is vague enough to say that I wasn't uh, disparaging the product itself. I was disparaging my use of the product. What if it, what if the driver actually sucked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> there is – this is not like defamation – um, in that truth is is an affirmative defense. If in a contract you say, I will not disparage you, even if it's true, then you are bound by that. And you can there are damages even if you're speaking the truth to doing so. Justin, we appreciate it. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. There he is. Justin Watkins. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000, is the number we're about 15 minutes away from uh, talking to the former UNLV quarterback, Caleb Herring, like we do every Wednesday. We talk football, we talk hoops as well, and we'll get into the uh, notion that the Bucks title has an asterisk. When will this end? Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today.